Good morning, Plum Creek. It's great to see you here today. I, I hope you've had a good week. Uh, for those of you who were back to school this week, uh, I hope the new year is off to a good start. And we do want to pray for students and teachers and administrators and everybody else at school. Uh, I also want to pray for some families who I know had a difficult week. Uh, that includes some who are fighting COVID right now or have lost someone to COVID. And I would ask you to, to pray with me for those families that are just going through a difficult time. In fact, let's, let's go ahead and do that right now. Let's pray. Father, we look to you today, and we thank you for your blessings. We know we always have reasons to be thankful. We know that good gifts all come from you. Um, but Lord, we, we go through difficult times as well, and, and we look to you and ask for help. I, I pray for those who are struggling with COVID in one way or another or, or just going through other struggles. I, I pray for healing. I pray for hope, for strength, and for comfort. Lord, we, we look to you, and we do that right now as we open your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am excited that we're starting a new sermon series today because for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about worship. And it may not seem like it, but worship is more important than any other issue we're facing today. If we get worship right, everything else falls into place. Uh, that may seem like an exaggeration, but it's not. It's just the truth. Now, to kick off this series, we're going to open the Bible and we're going to read Psalm 95. And this is a great psalm because it helps us understand what worship is all about. Uh, before we get to Psalm 95, though, I want to tell you a short story about a diamond. Now, this goes back a few years. Uh, back in the 80s, there was a woman from London. And this woman went to something called a car boot sale. Uh, you might not have heard of this. It's a UK thing. It's kind of like a flea market. But this woman was going around shopping, and she spotted this huge, gorgeous diamond. Now, it was obviously fake, but she loved it, and she decided, i got to have that. So she talked to the seller and negotiated the price, and, and she got that price down to around $15. So she owned it, and she thought it was great. She'd pull it out now and then. The years went by, the decades went by, until just a few years ago. 2017. She was uh, at a jeweler, and the jeweler had a look at this ring and, and said, I'm not so sure that's a fake. So she decided to get it appraised. And guess what happened? Well, I'm sorry to leave you hanging, but I'm not going to tell you yet. Um, I'll tell you in, in a minute. And for the moment, let's go back to that psalm I mentioned. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Psalm 95. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. So here we go. Psalm 95, starting with verse 1. It says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. And the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. 
for he is God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, and then he quotes God here. God says, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now, I've shared this before, but when I was younger, I really struggled to read the Psalms because the Psalms kind of seemed like poetry, and I've never been a big fan of poetry. However, over the years, I've learned that the Psalms are powerful, and they are brutally honest, and they're very relevant to our lives, and this Psalm is no exception. Uh, What we just read is a great description of what it means to worship God And I want to give you a heads up, over the course of this series, we're going to use a a really simple definition of worship. Worship is giving God his rightful place. It's assigning ultimate value to him. And when I say ultimate value, I mean that he is over and above everything else. Uh, We recognize that his greatness is beyond anything we can imagine. We, we put him above everything. He deserves all of our devotion. And that's a pretty high valuation, isn't it? Of course, some people don't agree with that valuation. Uh, some people don't value God at all because they don't even believe he exists. But then others would say, sure, it, it's possible that there is some kind of God, uh, but we can't know. I'm not going to spend much time thinking about it. I'm just going to live my life. But then you have a group of people who, they do believe that God is real. They believe that God is important. But he's on a list of several things that they see as important. A person like that might say, yeah, uh, lots of things are important to me. My family, my job, my own happiness. And sure, God is important too. Now, if you take that person's life and you turn it into a pie chart, God is just one more piece of the pie. But we need to understand, if if we make God just one more piece of the pie, we are not assigning ultimate value to him. But why would we assign ultimate value to God? Well, this is where I want to go back and finish the story about that diamond. Where we left off, the woman was about to go get the diamond appraised, right? And you might have seen this coming, but she was stunned by what she found out. She found out that she was the owner of a genuine 26-carat diamond. The actual value was about a half a million dollars. That's pretty good for a $15 investment. But how is it possible that for decades nobody noticed the value of this diamond? Well, apparently, the ring was cut back in the 1800s, and it didn't look like a normal high-value diamond that we would see today because the style of cutting was very different back then. But what did it take for someone to discover that this diamond was extremely valuable? Well, it took a jeweler who was knowledgeable 
and experienced and, and who looked very closely and saw that this diamond was precious. It had great value. So do you see where I'm going with this? It goes back to our valuation of God. Some people see him as fake. They don't value him at all. Others, it's, they, they treat him kind of like a $15 piece of costume jewelry. And, and they might bring him out of the drawer now and then, but most of the time he's off to the side. But what would it take for us to recognize God's ultimate value and give him his rightful place? Well, we need to become like that jeweler. We need to go back and look closely and see that God is worthy of all of our worship. Psalm 95 gives us a pattern for how to do this. As we read through this psalm, we see that worship involves three aspects of who you are. Worship involves your mind, your emotions, and your will. Your mind, your emotions, and your will. So, so let's go back and break this down one part at a time. First, how is worship connected to your mind? Well, let's go back and reread verses 3 through 5. It says, For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So what is the psalmist doing here? He's, he's saying, look at God. Use your reason and think about who he is. Think about what he has done. And, and we can do this today. For example, look at creation. Look at the, the mountains and the canyons and the oceans. Uh, some of you did that this summer. Uh, I know that some of you had some amazing vacations uh, you posted some incredible pictures of, of what you saw, especially from the national parks. And when we get to see those things that God has made, especially when you get to see them in person, it just fills you with this sense of awe. And if we're being intellectually honest, it's obvious, it's clear that all of these things were made by a great designer a great engineer, and a great artist. You can look at this huge universe on a macro level. You can look at tiny molecules on a micro level. But all of creation points to a creator. He made all of this out of nothing. you got to be impressed by that. But you know, creation is just one example. If you want to know the love of God, just look at the cross. God the Father gave his one and only son. Jesus gave himself to be the ultimate sacrifice, to give his life. Jesus experienced mocking and rejection, beating, excruciating pain, and death. And why did he do that? He did it for you and for me because of his great love for us. And why does Jesus, why does God love us like that? Well, this is what blows my mind. It's hard to understand because God loves us even though we were sinners. We were leading a rebellion against him. 
And he still did not want to reject us. He wanted to find a way to restore our relationship with him. And that's why Jesus went to the cross, to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. And besides that, just think about how small we are and how big he is. Why would he even notice us, much less love us, much less die for us? It's difficult to understand. It's hard to make sense of that, but the truth is God loves you more than you could ever know, and that is one of the most awesome and humbling truths in the world, and I encourage you to consider that. Look at the cross. Look at creation. See God for who he is, and when you do that, you know what happens? When you see God for who he really is, your emotions get involved. Let's go back to Psalm 95, and we'll start with verse 1. It says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. You hear the emotion in that? Sing for joy. Make some music. Celebrate who God is and what he's done. These feelings aren't forced. They aren't fabricated. fabricated. They're, they're genuine. It's kind of like this. Think about that moment when the woman discovered that her diamond was real, that it was worth half a million dollars. What do you think that was like for her? Do you think she sat down and said, well, I know I should be happy about this, so I guess I'll try to force a smile. No, of course not. She was like, are you kidding me? This is amazing. Uh, she, she might have been yelling or laughing. Uh, maybe she gave that jeweler a big hug. I don't know what she did, but I do know that her feelings and her emotions were just the natural result of what she learned with her mind. So let's uh, do a review real quick. Uh, with your mind, you discover the greatness of God. And with your emotions, you celebrate the greatness of God. So just one part left, right? Your will. When your mind and your emotions get engaged, your will is going to follow. So what are we talking about here? Well, the word will, that refers to the part of your soul that makes decisions, that decides how you're going to live. And again, we see this in Psalm 95. Look at verse 6. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. So bow down. That's a decision. Kneel before the Lord. That's a decision. Uh, these are acts of the will. But it's not just about bowing and kneeling. It's really about surrender. It's when you say, God, I am going to let you have your rightful place in my life. I'm putting you over and above everything else. I'm just a sheep, and you're the shepherd, so I will follow wherever you lead. And, and if I go astray, I'm going to let you correct me. That's what real worship looks like. It's making the willful decision to surrender to God and let him rule in your life. Well, let's be real for a second. 
when, when we make the decision to surrender to God, we all have trouble sticking with that decision. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need grace. That's why we need to make this decision over and over again every single day. I'll give you an example. Over 10 years ago, I went on a mission trip to Haiti. And, you know, Haiti is a rough part of the world. They have been through so much in that country. Uh, just yesterday, you, you may have seen that there was another earthquake down there. But on this mission trip, uh, I, I met a Haitian teenager. And one day, we were walking down the road, and, and we had a conversation about faith, especially his faith. And this kid, he, he was a genuine Christian. He, he really wanted to be faithful and loyal to Jesus. But as we were talking, uh, at one point in the conversation, I said, you know, every Christian is tempted in one way or another. And if you don't mind me asking, here in Haiti, for Christians, what are some common temptations and struggles that you face? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, for me, my temptation is voodoo. <laughs> and I know that sounds really weird, but voodoo is a big thing down in Haiti. They have witch doctors and priests who, who lead these kind of worship rituals where they pray to spirits. Uh, they often ask these spirits for some kind of healing. But uh, I asked this, this boy, I said, why is voodoo a temptation for you? And he said, well, a lot of us have decided to become Christians, but when you pray to Jesus and you don't get what you asked for, it's very tempting to go to the voodoo spirits and say, see if they will answer your prayers. And he knew what was going on here. He knew the choice that he needed to make. He needed to put God first to give him his rightful place, to worship him alone, and put away those idols. And I know this scenario from Haiti is really foreign to us. Uh, I doubt any of us would be tempted to turn to voodoo at any point in our lives. But the truth is, our struggle is not really that different. I'll give you an example. In your life, what is difficult? What would be difficult for you to let go of. Got something in my pocket here. Think about your phone. What if God told you that you had to get rid of this? Throw it away and don't get another one. What would that be like for you? I'm not saying that he's telling you to do that, but would that be easy or would it be a struggle? I know for a lot of us it, it would be a struggle. I read a, a blog uh, from a guy named Kerry Newhoff. It's a Christian leadership blog. And, and not too long ago, there was a guest post on this blog uh, from a guy who's 22 years old. And this 22-year-old was talking about some of the issues and problems facing his generation. And he said, one of the biggest problems for my generation is a sharp decline in mental health. Stress and anxiety and depression are all on the rise. And he said, my generation, we know about this mental health crisis. And then he said this. He said, we know our phones are part of the problem, but our phones are just too good to give up. Now, I'm not 
picking on a, a particular generation here. I, I know a lot of older people would have the same struggle. And if this is not your struggle, you have something else that would be difficult for you to let go of. We all get attached to certain things. And when we get too attached, those things become idols. They become objects of worship. And you know, this is true even for people who don't believe in God at all. A writer named Paul Tripp said, every human being is a worshiper, religious or non-religious, because we all attach our identity, our hopes and dreams, our inner sense of well-being and our meaning and purpose to something. We all tend to surrender to and serve what we think will give us life. So in the season that you're in right now, what is it that you're surrendered to? Is it Jesus? Or is it something else? Or someone else? You know, every now and then, it's a good thing to evaluate your life and say, what is it that I'm really devoted to right now? Because all too often, we need to recalibrate our lives. We need to get our priorities straight. So let's take a moment to do that right now. A preacher named John Weiss made a list of popular American idols. And I want to share this list with you. And as I do, I want you to identify just two or three things on this list that have some kind of hold on your life. Things that consume your thoughts. They draw your attention and your devotion. So here's the list. Popular American idols. You got politics, sports, education, career, entertainment, social media, money, sex, clothes, food, hobbies, fitness. Now look down that list. What sticks out to you? What, what is it that has a bigger place in your thoughts and your life than you'd care to admit? My guess is we could all name at least one or two items from this list. And I want to point out something here. These things aren't necessarily bad. Uh, they can be helpful. Uh, <laughs> I think we, we can all agree that clothes are a very good thing. I'm really glad that you guys wore clothes today. These things can be good if they're kept within the boundaries that God set up. But any of these things can also be harmful. Eventually, any of these things can enslave you. So what's the difference? What determines whether these things are positives or negatives? Well, it all comes down to this. Have you given God his rightful place? Are you pursuing Jesus above everything else? If so, none of these things will become idols. You see, God can't just be another item on this list. True worship is when you put Jesus above everything else. You say, Lord, what, what place should sports have in my life? Lord, how do you want me to approach sex? What do you want me to do with my money? I surrender all of these things to you. And make no mistake, he will tell you what to do and what not to do in each of these areas. Jesus told us that if we want to follow him, 
If we want to be his disciple, we have to lay our lives down. We need to deny ourselves. And this is what's so difficult for us. We don't like denying ourselves. We like pursuing the things that promise happiness or pleasure or power or contentment. But you know what that really is? It's worshiping the false idol of self. What would, a, what would an alcoholic and a workaholic and a shopaholic all have in common? What, what they all have in common is the pursuit of self. I, me, mine. I, I pursue these things because I hope that they'll give me what I'm looking for. But the irony is, pursuing false idols will never give you freedom. False idols always lead to slavery. So how do we recalibrate our lives and put God back in his rightful place? Well, if you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's where you start. You surrender your life to him. Uh, you make him your Lord. You trust in Jesus to provide instead of running after false idols. But then once you've made the decision to follow Jesus, you're not done yet. You, you need to allow God's Holy Spirit to transform your life. God's Holy Spirit will help you get rid of those idols. He, he will help you put Jesus above everything else. But that process won't happen automatically. It only happens when you truly give God control and then you take the steps that he's leading you to take. John Weiss says that on a regular basis, he, he takes some time to identify one potential idol in his life. And then he takes one month to let God deal with that idol. And as a framework, he follows the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Are you familiar with these 12 steps? The first one goes like this. We admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. And we talked about this, right? Alcohol can definitely be a false god that would enslave you and control your life. But taking this first step can be very difficult because a lot of times we're in denial we don't want to admit that we're powerless. We want to hold on to this delusion that says, I got this, it's all right, I'm still in control. But this step is a necessary part of worship. We have to say, God, I do need you. I can't do this on my own. Now, it may be that alcohol is the thing that controls you, but maybe not. Maybe your struggle is different. And if that's true, Take the word alcohol out of this sentence and, and put something else in. What do you struggle with? What is it that has made you a slave or has the potential to make you a slave? You know, it's usually painful and scary to knock down these idols. But until you do that, you will not give God his rightful place. The truth is, we all need something like a 12-step program. We all need to be in recovery in some way. Every single one of us. Because if we're going to remove our false idols, we need help. 
And like I said, God will help you directly through his Holy Spirit. But we also need a different kind of help, don't we? We need the help of a community. A community that will encourage you and challenge you and sometimes confront you. I don't know if you noticed, uh, back in Psalm 95, this idea of community is all over the place. Let us sing. Let us shout aloud. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Let us kneel before the Lord, bow down. The word us is in there a lot. So in this time when this psalm was written, they weren't doing these things individually. They came together as a group. And that's still true today. It's a great thing to come together and worship. There is power in that. But it's also important to look at the end of Psalm 95. We haven't spent much time there, have we? The end of this psalm is kind of a downer. Uh, God says, don't harden your hearts against me like, my ancestor, like your ancestors did. I was angry with that generation for 40 years. And the, the terminology here is plural as well, just like the first part. The word they shows up a lot. In verse 10, God said, They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. You see, community can be a powerful influence for good or for evil. A community can lead you to God or lead you away from God. That's why the church is so important. When the church is working right, we operate as a family, and we lead each other to worship God and give him his rightful place. In a healthy church, we do good things that we wouldn't have done without the support of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That happened to me this summer with our men's Bible study. Uh, over the summer, uh, we would meet on Wednesday mornings at Panera at 6.30, just a group of guys, and, and we would split into small groups, and we would read a passage of Scripture, talk about it, and each one of us would identify some kind of action step that God was leading us to take because of what we read. We would pray for each other and then hold each other accountable to take that action step. And it was really cool to see that I took several steps that I wouldn't have taken without this group. Just a quick example. Uh, one week uh, in our reading and our discussion, I felt led to reach out to a mentor of mine. Uh, this person is, is a good friend. He, he's really become a mentor. And, and we've gotten together uh, several times, but after COVID hit, it was really difficult to set up a meeting. And we just never got back to it. Well, on that day in Panera, this was my action step to uh, reach out to my mentor. And I knew that my Bible study guys, the following week, they would ask me if I actually took this step. And that accountability was part of the reason that I followed through. And so I have a meeting set up with this mentor on Wednesday, three days from now. It's a cool thing. So do you have this kind of community right now? If not, take the initiative. 
connect with some friends who are on the same journey of worshiping God and following Jesus. You know, here at Plum Creek, right now is one of the best times in the entire year where you can find this kind of community. Next Sunday, we'll start sign-ups for our life groups. Some of you know what life groups are, but in case you don't, these, these groups are usually about 10 to 12 people. Uh, sometimes they meet in homes. Sometimes they meet at the church. Uh, they often get together for a meal. But these groups will always study Scripture together, pray together, and just share life with each other. Now, uh, because of COVID, uh, we didn't have normal life groups last year. Uh, we did something called huddles. And these were super small groups, like three to four people. And uh, some of you said that format worked great for you. So this year, we're giving you the option. If you want to sign up for a normal life group, uh, we'll give you the list next week. All the leaders and locations and, and times, and you can choose where to go. However, if, if you want to join a life group huddle, you just set that up yourself. Just find you know, two or three friends, and, and then you've got your group. Either way, the priority is to be in community. So I hope that you'll make this a priority and get into a group. Encourage each other to give God his rightful place and value him above everything else. That's what worship is about. And when we do that, our lives will change. We will stand out in this world because we're leaving those false idols behind and we're becoming more and more like Jesus. It will be visible to others. Earlier in the sermon, I, I said that worship is more important than any other issue that's facing us today. And that's because worship affects every area of your life. When you give God his rightful place, he will fill you with his love. You will show love to everyone you meet. You will show them respect, even when you disagree with them, which is a huge deal right now. That alone would make you stand out. But it goes even beyond that. When you give God his rightful place, you will have a hope and a peace that can't be taken away because you know eventually it's all going to be okay. So do you have that hope and that peace and that love? There's only one way to find it. Worship the one true God, the one who is above all else and over everything. Let's pray. Father, we worship you and we praise you, and, and I know these are just words until we make it a reality. So Lord, I pray that you'll help us to recalibrate our lives, to, to, for you to be our king and, and to rule us and, and for us to let you do that. Lord, I know that uh, you're speaking to each one of us today. I pray that we will hear you and respond. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.